There's a man uh, down the street from, uh, from where I live, and he's magic. He has magic powers. Uh, he's a dog whisperer. He's, he's Larry the dog whisperer, and he talks to his dog. Uh, he talks to other dogs. There's a dog down the street that loves Larry more than he loves his own owner, and his owner's pretty good. But whenever Larry walks down, he pins himself to the front glass and starts bouncing around. Larry the dog whisperer is coming. And, I mean, Larry's a great, uh, I mean, all good dogs love Larry, and why wouldn't they? Larry had a dog named Spot, and that, that Spot was a lucky dog, if there ever was one. And uh, he passed away, and after, a, you know, a time passed, he, Larry went down to the, the pound and got himself another dog, Molly. And, and Molly <clears throat> uh, was new to Larry, and she did something that was really, well, it was terrible. She made a terrible mistake. She ran away. She wasn't good at running away. She just made it across the street when I was checking the mail. And <clears throat> so I picked, I picked Molly up, and I wasn't going to bring Molly back to Larry until I had a really great talk with Molly. So when I picked her up, I kind of held her firm. And I, this is a true story. I looked her in the face, and I started talking to her. As I was crossing the street, I said, Molly, where are you going to go that's better than where you live? Who do you want, Molly, as an owner? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want that you could possibly not receive already? He, Larry is the dog whisperer. He, he's, he's better and sweeter and nicer and kinder than any owner on this, in his neighborhood. And so you're going to have safety and peace and comfort and joy. Molly, he's going to take you on a walk six to ten times every single day. And he's going to train you so that you don't even need a leash. You're going to walk right by his side and all the other dogs are going to think, how come that dog doesn't have a leash? Because you belong to Larry the Dog Whisperer. That's why. He has a car just for you to ride in to take you to the park. And then on days when he mows the lawn and the grass is still cool, he'll get his little beach chair, not a lawn chair, but a beach chair, so he can sit down low next to you in that cold grass and on occasion, he's going to pat you on the head. And you're going to live your life around that pat on the head. And when you get older and your legs aren't working like what, the way are they are right now, I've seen him do it. Larry the dog whisperer, he'll carry you upstairs so that you can sleep by his bed. <laughs> I don't know who you want that you don't already have. I don't know what you need that you're not going to get beyond your dreams. Molly. You don't need to go anywhere else. There's nothing else to add. Don't run away ever again. Well, Molly listened to me. She never ran away again. To this day, she walks around the block with Larry several times every single day, and she's the envy of all the other dogs because Molly belongs to Larry, the dog whisperer. That's a happy story. We're looking at a passage today where Paul is talking to this church in Colossia, and he's talking to them like I was talking to Molly. Because some of the people that received his letter and his, his ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had wandered away. And they were looking for something, and they were looking for something more. And so Paul is saying to them, 
I think in a fairly kind way, but thorough, and he's saying, where are you going to go to get a salvation, anything like what Jesus is providing? Who are you going to serve that's greater than Jesus the Christ? What are you going to add to who he is and what he's done for you? Don't stray. There, there, there is adequacy, there is sufficiency in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. So before we move on, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's what it is in the same book. We looked at it last week. Chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now, this is the gospel, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death of his son, presented you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusations. That's the gospel. Once enemies... Now reconciled. How are we reconciled? By the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what happens when, that ha- when we believe that to be true? We are presented as holy. We're presented as blameless, without any accusation, free from accusation. That's the gospel. That's what we're talking about today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem with this church is that they had false teachers invade them, and they, and they would just say, you know what? <clears throat> That's good and all, but what we're going to do is we're going to look for more. We're going to add to. It's called syncretism, and it's it's where you just say, hey, look, you know, let's just add other stuff. Like we have some of our Jewish background, and so we'll keep the good stuff there. We have some Greek philosophy. We'll keep that as well, and it'll be kind of this mumbo-jumbo. We'll have even, it'll be the best of all these different types of religions. And Paul's coming in and said, no, no, no. Now it's not the gospel anymore. And so what we're talking about today, there are two big questions, and we're going to answer them in our own lives at the end of today's time. We have 28 minutes to go. Here are the questions. Where are you putting your hope for salvation? Where are you putting your hope for salvation? And the second question, how much hope are you putting there? How much hope are you putting there? Those are the big questions. That's what we're going to talk about today. True Christianity says, where are you putting your hope? In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of my sins so that I could receive as a gift the righteousness of Jesus. How much hope am I putting there? That's the bell ringer, 100%. I'm all in. I'm not adding to it because there's nothing needed. And the reason is, is because Jesus is sufficient. He was adequate to do what he was called to do. And what he did, he did thoroughly. I don't need to add to it because nothing is needed. That's biblical Christianity. Now, false teachers, they say, "Mm, uh, where are you going to put your faith? Sure, I'll put it in maybe Jesus, but he wasn't enough. Or they'll say what he did wasn't adequate, so we'll add to. In our experience, it would usually be good works. I'm getting in the game. I'm, I'm part of getting myself to heaven. So, and it's similar to this. Today we're looking at what's called the the doctrine of the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's lesson is called the doctrine of the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that gospel sufficient all by itself to cause a person who believes to have experience with God, intimacy with God, now and forever? Or is it missing something? If you don't think it's sufficient, if you don't think it's adequate, it, it mean, 
it's because of one of two reasons or both, right? And that's what Paul's going to look at today. One, you don't understand who Jesus Christ is. Or two, you don't understand what he did. You don't understand who he is or what he did. One of those reasons is why you don't put 100% faith, hope down on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's the point. That's the theme. Now we're going to get into the passage. The first sentence we're going to look at is this overarching warning about false teachers and false philosophies. Okay? Let's look at verse 8. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. See to it that no one takes you captive. Okay? That's the key word. See that you, no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tra- traditions of men, according to the elemental principles of the world, rather than according to Jesus Christ. Okay, don't, take your, don't be captivated or taken captive by these false philosophies. The word philosophy here, uh, it's a classic word. It means the love of wisdom. Don't be afraid of the love of wisdom. Well, philosophy is a good thing. It has served the church. It served people for a long time. Philosophy teaches us, good philosophy teaches us what, what reality is, what, what is real, what is true, what is moral, those sorts of things, right? And, and the reason philosophy serves Christianity, it's the handmaiden, as I think Augustine said, is because Jesus Christ and the gospel is the end as we looked at last week, right? He, all things were created by him and for him. So all of history, all of knowledge, all things, all disciplines are pointing to Jesus the Christ. And so sometimes you can use philosophy to help you find that end, okay? The purpose in life, uh, Westminster Confession, to know God and enjoy him forever. The highest revelation of philosophy would be the word of God. These other ones, all truth is God truth. So philosophy or psychology or church history, all these things can serve that end. But what Paul's talking about here are, what does he say, empty and deceptive philosophies, human traditions, ones that run away or don't teach towards that end. Anything that's not going to bring you to what has already been revealed, it's, it's not serving the gospel. I think today would uh, an example of, of um, like a human traditions and sort of thing is how the progressive philosophy of, of, of um, no absolutes. It's called relativism. There are no absolutes. You, I think Paul, if he wrote us today, he'd say, look, you can't be a relativist and, and follow the gospel because that philosophy leads you away from hard truths. Do you see? Anyway, what, what the point is, is that what we're supposed to be captivated by is not captivated by these worldly philosophies, but captivated by Jesus who he is, and what he's done. So Paul now is going to go out, and he's going to teach us for the rest of this time, why shouldn't we, I don't know, just hedge our bet? I mean, if, if, the, uh, if, we're, if we're supposed to be, I mean, really, bet 100%, 100% on the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, diversify your risk. 98%. That'd be, I mean, 98% is high. That would be good. Paul's saying it won't be tolerated, even 98%. And the way, he, the way he's going to present to us a reasonable faith, and a reasonable faith requires 100% because of the sufficiency of Christ, his two-point outline is pretty simple. It's because who Jesus is and because what Jesus did. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did requires you 
to be believing in the absolute, complete sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a summary straight statement of those two points in verses 9 and 10. For in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in his bodily form. That's who Jesus is. And in him, you have been made complete. That's what he did. And he is the head over, and over all rule and authority. So why, he wants us to have a reasonable faith. He doesn't want us to have a blind faith. He wants us to have understanding of what we're um, believing in. And he says who he is and what he did. Who he is, all the fullness of deity dwells within his bodily form. And then he says he's the head. We've looked at that for two weeks now, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But fullness of deity means the very essence of God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is deity. He is different in kind, not in degree, than other men. We saw the word preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. It said he's head over all rules. What that means is we learned before that he gives us life. The head gives the body life, and the head rules. So Jesus, who Jesus is, he says he's not like any other person ever. He's the God-man. He's the man-God. And then what he does, what does Jesus do in this passage? He makes us complete, and he made us, we have been made complete in him. Okay? Made com- what does that mean, been made complete? Uh, probably in light of this passage, the outline would be philosophically, judicial, you know, we're philosophically complete in him, we're judiciously complete, we're uh, uh, supernaturally complete. Watch what I'll explain these words and then we'll elaborate. But we're philosophically complete. We're, we're captivated by the philosophies of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus in the Old Testament, what it prophesied and what it was fulfilled, teaches us uh, where we're from, our very nature, our identity. We don't have to speculate on our identity because of what's been communicated through the philosophies of Jesus, right? Uh, the nature of evil the vanquish of evil and how it happens, the purpose of history and where history's going. These are philosophies that we have complete. We don't need to go anywhere else. They're found in the teachings of Jesus. Judicially or forensically, what it means is in the context of standing before the, the judgment seat of God, we need go no further than to hide behind the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the blood. That's why we sang about the blood. Because he has made us righteous, not by what we did, but what we inherited from him. That's our, our, there's no spot on our soul. Not that we washed it off, but that Jesus did. We're done there. And then supernaturally, we'll see that Jesus has conquered the evil powers. And so we don't even have to go to combat anymore, and we don't have to get kicked around anymore. We're complete. And we're complete philosophically and judiciously. And supernaturally. So where are you going to go where you can get that? Who else is offering that? <laughs> you know what? Uh, all, other, all other world religions and philosophies, the, and I mean, the best they can do, they might even say it out loud, the best they can do is put a new coat on an old man. And Christianity, this gospel is saying something completely different. It's saying, we'll get a new man in that coat. There's a radical transformation of the soul from the inside out. That's the difference that we're talking about. The sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ says nothing else is needed, and you have to bet 100% on that. Now, 
I think Paul realizes we still might be in doubt about how could he make us that complete. And so the rest of our passage together is just outlining how, you know, how does he make us complete? Because he wants us to have a reasonable faith. And this is crude, but uh, just go with this for a second. But gambling and faith are very similar. I mean, actually, faith is gambling. Hoping in something uh, that you, you, you can't see but you, you believe it's there is, 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 a, is a gamble. And so uh, what Paul is going to do now is saying, look, 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 don't get too weird about putting your soul down on this because it's a sure thing. I'm going to give you a reasons to believe that because I don't, if, if you've ever been or probably haven't been there, let me just, you've seen this on television when people are placing bets down on uh, a roulette table. Sure. They'll be like, I'll put 95% of everything on, on, on 17 black, but you know what? Even though I know the table's fixed, I'm going to put like 4% over here. Just, just in case I'll do some red, right? That's, that's, that's a natural thing to do. And Paul's saying, that's not the gospel then. You still don't understand who he is and what he did. And so the rest of our time, he's going to go, and he says, look, the sufficiency of the gospel is based on Jesus made us complete in him. And here's the outline for this because it's kind of complicated. So I, I put the outline together. It's this, that he's going to fulfill all the ritual hopes that we would have. Okay? This is how he's making us complete. Okay? That he would uh, forgive all of our sins. And then he would have victory over the evil forces in the world. Those three things are convincing proof that you would have a reasonable faith to bet everything on all Jesus and that gospel. Okay? That's the outline. Let's look at the first one. Okay? That he fulfilled all the ritual hopes. Verses 11 and 12. In him. You'll notice in him is lit up. Okay? Because everything's in him. And in him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I know, it's a complicated set of sentences. What he's talking about here are ritual hopes and how Jesus fulfilled those. What's the point of rituals? Old Testament and New. We've got an Old Testament circumcision, New Testament baptism. Rituals are outward, uh, uh, right, expressions of something that's spiritually deeper. Rituals help the spiritually learning impaired know two things, generally. What we need and where to get it. So a lot of rituals in the Older Testament will do some sort of something so that you go, wow. I'm a dirty sinner, right, and I'm going to need cleaning, and I can't do it myself. What I need and where to get it, I'm going to need God to do this, right? It tells us what our hope ought to be in. Now, here's the thing with rituals, though. It's pretty easy for some people to look at the rituals and think that's where you get salvation in the Old Testament rituals, in the New Testament rituals. And rituals are just shadows of reality, right? If you hand the sun, you look down and you look at the sh- That's not a, r- a hand down there. This is the hand. Uh, another way, rituals point to something greater than itself. And so rituals are pointing to what you need and where to get it. You can't get righteousness from that. Righteousness, self-righteousness, ritual righteousness, is people looking at the finger, you know, instead of where it's pointing. 
And so Paul's coming in going, look, everything these rituals were pointing to, Jesus fulfilled those. First, let's look at the Old Testament one, circumcision, and then we'll look at baptism. Okay? So circumcision, one aspect of circumcision, there's a bunch, it's a complicated passage. But one aspect of circumcision is this, that in this ritual that happened passively to a newborn son on the eighth day, a part of his body was cut away and thrown away. Okay? That, that cut away part is to represent the, the, the sin of the flesh. Listen. So that, the circumcision was so that he could join in a covenant relationship with God's people. You are circumcised, that evil flesh part was thrown away so that you could be in a covenant with God's people. Paul's saying, Jesus did that. He did that for you. He's the fulfill- that was pointing to Jesus doing that spiritually in your life, cutting away the fleshly evil parts of you, throwing it over here so that, eight days old, it wasn't even your choice, so that you could be in a family of God. That's the first, that's, that's just one of several, right, in the Old Testament, but that's the one he uses. And then the second one, in Christ we're circumcised souls. In Christ we're baptized. What's the hope, what's the hope of baptism? Resurrection. Resurrection. I mean, you, you go down with him, you're dead. Stay down too long, you will be. And then you come up and you're like, oh, I have been raised from the dead. Paul's saying, yep, that's the hope. You got it. That's what it's pointing to. And Jesus fulfills the hope of that ritual. Okay, the ritual doesn't cause righteousness. What it points to does. And the key to this, and you'll see it throughout the passage, is in him. In him, with him, through him, I think six times in this paragraph, it's all about being identified with him. This is a spiritual, mystical, incomprehensible thing that's happening. But because of this emphasis of in him, the point is that we're, it, when you put your faith in him, you're with him during these things. And so... In the, in the context of, of baptism and death and resurrection, we, we were with him in that death. That crown of thorns, that was ours. We were on the cross with him. It was crowded in that tomb. We were all there with him, in him, identifying with him. And then on Resurrection Sunday, we all bursted through because now we're attached in the context of his essence, right? And so whatever happens to him happens to us. And so the point is, you know, this is how he makes us complete in the fulfillment of these ritual hopes. Who else is going to do that for you? Who, is the, who else is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament uh, right, ceremonies that are all pointing to him? He did those things. And by fulfilling those things, he's, he's presenting us as complete. Old Testament and new. That's why Jesus says, look, I didn't come to condemn the law. I came to fulfill the law. All those things were pointing towards me. I'm it. And so the, the idea is the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is this. Where are you going to go to find all these fulfillments of Old Testament, New Testament prophecies and promises? Where are you going to go? No one else has it. The second way he completes us is it says uh, he forgives our sins. He forgives our sins. Now, um, you brace yourself. Okay, this is one long sentence, and I want you to listen for three things because he's going to say the same thing three times. He's going to say this. 
I took care of all your debts. Paul wants us to make sure we understand what forgiveness is. And so three different ways, you can see it, it's easier in in a Greek grammatical outline, but I'll put it up there so you can see it. Jesus is saying, Jesus paid all of your debts three times. Here's what he's saying. He's forgiving, he's making us, making us complete. When you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our transgressions, two, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which are hostile towards us, and three, he has taken it out or away by having nailed it to the cross. He wants us to have a reasonable faith. He knows that we're going to have to bet everything on this gospel. And so he says, look, he forgave you. One, he forgave you. And and the Greek word forgiveness means um, to send away. It means somebody's at your house. They got busted for something, you know, that they did to you. And you say, you know what? Just let them go home. Send them away. No vengeance. It's done. And I think he goes into more detail so, because the second one, it's how he's able to do that. It says he canceled out the certificate of debt that was hostile towards us. Now, the original audience knew exactly what that meant. When you got into debt or bankruptcy back in the day, they would, they would take a placard and they'd put your name in the middle of town square. And you'd be, you'd be in this, this certificate of debt would be posted there. And yeah, it was hostile towards you. No one's going to help you. No one's going to go into business with you. That's for sure. And they didn't have a problem with people just like starving to death because they didn't pay their debts. There was a debtor prison. So yeah, it was hostile towards you. And so what, what does he say? How does, how does this forgiveness take place? It says he crossed it out. He canceled the certificate of debt consisting of the degrees against, decrees against us that were hostile to, towards us. So when you had your debts paid off, they'd come in and they would cross it off, giant X over it, and then eventually take it down. You've been restored. Jesus did that. It's another way of him saying, I paid all your bills. He forgives us, cancels the debt. And the third one, it says, and he has taken it down out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now he's getting violent and graphic with his vocabulary. And he's saying this certificate of debt, it was driven through the palms of Jesus Christ. It was driven into his feet. It was the crown of thorns that he wore. That paid it off. It was cast out. It was removed from you. Now, Paul spends time here, so let's spend time here. Let's ask the big questions. Where are you going to get that kind of forgiveness? Right, forgiveness being canceled, thrown out, right, removed. Did, was there something that was left out? Was there something missing where you would go somewhere else or feel like you needed to do something for this? The, the, the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity dwelling in him, has been tortured to death, and you think that's not enough? <laughs> Friends, there's arrogance in your, in your conviction of sin. You, I don't think you understand what's happened here. Who it happened to and, who, and what happened to him. The sufficiency of the gospel is based on this, that the Son of God, God in flesh, was beaten and tortured to death, and that was on you. I think it's payment in full. I think it's sufficient. And if you don't, 
I think, God, I think in some respects, God would love to know what else would he have to do? What else is there to do? He's, trying, he's bringing us, he's making us complete. That's the point, right? And so, so he, he does that in the fulfillment of Old Testament rituals. He does that in this forgiveness, three ways he's going to describe that. And then finally, he presents us complete by power over evil. And in verse 15, he says, when he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made, him public, he, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This, again, very picturesque for the original audience. They all know what he's talking about, having disarmed the evil powers, right? So that means he's come in, conquered the evil ones, grabbed them by the throat, told them to drop their weapons, disarm them. They are powerless now. Puts a collar around their neck, chains them to the chariot, the victory chariot, and drags them through town so that all of the Roman generals, all, all of the people would know the state of those that were conquered. <laughs> That's the picture he's saying here. And what's happened here is he's, he's painting this picture of Jesus Christ's cross has radically been transformed and changed by Jesus Christ in one day. In one day. Because if you go back in time, we're, we're contaminated by uh, thousands of years. You go back in time and the cross meant this. It meant the evil destruction of a violent criminal. That's what the cross means. Evil destruction of, of a violent criminal. Every time someone saw a cross, that's what they saw. And then Resurrection Sunday. And now it's, it's, a, it's a victory chariot. And we wear it as jewelry and we hang it on walls and we, we put it on the corner of a street where hundreds of thousands of people drive by it because he defeated the evil. And that he, in doing that, he presents us as complete. What more could he do that hasn't been done? The son, in summary, Jesus Christ and the gospel is sufficient. We were enemies and we were reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ. We are presented holy, blameless, without accusations. So why is it sufficient? Because of who he is and because what he did. Okay, here comes the call. It's, I'm going to ask it very soon. Okay. It, this, this truth of the sufficiency of the gospel, I'm going to ask you to stake your claim today. Where are you putting your hope, and how much hope are you putting there? This requires an all-in, and today we're going to do that. And I think there's two reasons why people don't go all in. Two reasons why people hedge their bet. You know, 80, 20, again, 96, 4. It doesn't matter. It's wrong if it's less than 100%. The, some reasons that people don't go all in on this is because they don't know what they have. And I think a lot of you are learning in our series together in this wonderful book of Colossians about all that you have in the gospel. You've learned in the, in the previous two weeks, you learned that Jesus was preeminent that he was different in kind, not in degree. There's no, there's no religious leader like him, that he is God in skin. And we also learn that he gives us or presents to us a salvation that is different in kind, not in degree. It is not like any other salvation. It is sufficient all by itself. Don't touch it. Let me explain in a crude way. Faith, hope, it's gambling. It is. 
You're putting your hope down. You're putting your bet down and then saying, I hope I win. This, in poker, is a royal straight flush. That's the highest hand you can ever be dealt. Nothing beats that hand. And if you ever get that hand dealt to you, it's, it's one in 2.6 million chance that that would ever happen. You want to you put your faith in that, okay? You don't have to, listen, by the way, you don't have to have a lot of faith. It's not the size of, you can have the faith of a mustard seed. Just have faith in that hand. That's a, ask around. You don't have to know much about poker. That's it. Okay? That's it. That's where you put your hope. There are two things when you're dealt that hand that you never, ever do. One, ask for another card. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade one of these cards in for something else because I'm stupid. <laughs> That's, you've arrived. That's the end of all poker. It all lands there. Don't ask for anything more. Where else are you going to go to get better? Two, bet small. You don't bet small on that. I'm in for 275, 76. I'm in for 276. No, no, no. You say, I'm betting my car, my clothes, my house, my wife, my kid that isn't even born yet. I'm calling friends and relatives. I'm going all in on this because it's going to win. And here's what Paul's saying. If you understand the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is in the fullness of his deity, and what he did presented us complete He's saying, you place your bet and you go all in, all of it. It's sufficient. It's adequate. It doesn't need any help. So some of you that don't understand that yet, I hope you understand. You got a royal straight flush in this gospel. The other reason people hedge their bet and say, I'm going to go a little bit of this. I'm going to add a little Buddha or something. I mean, I see this on Facebook. I go, what? Is it, here's why. I'll just say it. Uh, they've been Christians too long. That's a really weird way of saying it, but, you know, they, they turn 20 or 36, and they'll say, you know what, i kind of done it all. Ben, I, you know, I mean, and so, listen, honestly, if all you've done your life in 20 years or 40 years or whatever is collect more information about the Christian faith or just gotten busy with it, then, yeah, I could see why you'd be wanting more. That's not Christianity. I mean, my advice based on this passage would be go no further, go deeper. Because the simplistic, limited vocabulary of Jesus the Christ, that if you are surrendered to him, his words get deeper and more profound with every turn of the calendar. The gospel is not the problem. It's sufficient. You're the problem. You're proud. If you're looking around for more, it's because you haven't drank from this fountain yet. We're going we're gonna to put our bets down in just a few seconds, and I'll tell you, finish with my story. This, this came to life for me, and half of you will understand this because of your backgrounds. But when I was a, when I, I grew up going, uh, attending Catholic church, and I love that in my background. And then in college, I had, like, all the fingers that were pointing to Jesus, the bell went off. And I was, I was surrendered to him. And I, I think I had toyed with the occult uh, inadvertently, and for 
nights, not days, nights uh, that went on to weeks, I had night terrors, demonic dreams that were excessively violent and horrendous, you know, just terrible, dreadful dreams. And I, I just wanted to sleep, and I just wanted peace. And so, um, I, you know, it was my custom uh, within that faith to pray to patron saints, and I would do that regularly. But, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't know who the patron saint of demonic dreams was, okay? And so, I, I, honestly, I, this is a true story. I, I got really greedy and started with the apostles. And so I'd go to bed. I was so, I, was so uh, I don't know, just frustrated that I would just say, Peter, Paul, and all the other, all you guys, could you talk to the Father for me? Because I, I can't take another one of these nightmares. They're so ugly, especially towards all the people that I love. I just, I just want to, and I need sleep. So I'm going to lay my head down, and I'm going to close my eyes, and will you guys talk to the Father for me? And this goes on for a few weeks. And then a friend of mine comes, and, he, and I tell him what I'm, what I'm doing, and it's not working. He goes, Matt, you can talk to the Father. I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, he had mind me, you know, like hiding around the corner. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand who Jesus is and what he did. Because you think that you can't lift your head up to him and talk directly to him. Because when you talk to him as a follower of Jesus Christ, he, you're just hiding behind the royal gown of the righteousness of Jesus, and he'll hear you. Are you I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And that was the last day I ever prayed to a patron saint. I was 99% in, and I didn't realize there was a 1% where the truth had set me free. I know there's some people here that still use other sources of prayer instead of talking to God Almighty, Father God, Daddy. All right. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? This is for you and only you. What are you going to put your hope in for salvation? What are you going to put your hope in for a relationship with God and eternity with him? Will it be the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who he is? The fullness of deity dwelling in his flesh and what he did to bring you to complete. Who's going to put their faith in that? Raise your hands. Okay, put your hands down. Here's the one that matters today. This is the point of this passage. How much hope are you going to put in that? How much faith is going to that one square, Jesus Christ and the gospel that he brings? Who's in for 100% believing in the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. This is a good day. You put your hands down. Lord Jesus, <laughs> you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Well, you began by grace. Or are you now trying to complete with the acts of the flesh, doing good works? 
went to 98%, didn't you? Lord, I am so grateful that your Bible is so full of details about the power of the gospel and the sufficiency of the gospel. And Lord, this day, I'd ask that you would grant us confidence in that sufficiency. God, I'd ask that you'd forgive us for thinking that our sin was not completely cared for and blotted out and wiped clean by the death of your only begotten son on that cross. To think that we could add something to that besides sin is arrogance, and we're sorry. We didn't know who he was. We didn't fully appreciate what he did. And so now, Lord, I'd ask this day where we raised our hands and we claimed we're all in that we would hold that to be our faith. The promises that you made, that you fulfilled on that Easter day, on that resurrection, the fulfillment of all hopes and dreams. God, I pray that that is where our hope is. We pray this with great excitement of future things. In Jesus' name, amen.